when we surrender, what we are given is more beautiful than we could ever imagine. But we fight hard to have things go our way. Welcome back. You're listening to Let It Out, a podcast that I host. My name is Katie Delbout. Maybe you've been here before. If you're new, welcome. I'm doing a new thing here in quarantine where I'm having, well, this is not that new. I often have had many of my friends on this podcast, people I know well, people I've recently met, people who become friends after we record our first conversation. That has happened often, which I'm very grateful about. And now here in quarantine, I want nothing but to talk to cozy people that I love so much. And today's one of those conversations. But if I didn't know Brooke, our guest at all, I would still want to have her on the podcast because she is a therapist and a smart writer and person who is just really cool and really talented at the work that she does and just who she is in her life. So if I'd never met her before, I'm confident that this would have been a great conversation. However, I'm so happy that I do have the relationship that I do with Brooke selfishly for myself because it's one of the most nurturing, cozy, useful, interesting relationships that I have in my life that I'm incredibly grateful for. And I think it really made this conversation what it is. We kind of go inside baseball on our own human condition and friendship and the things that we're constantly voice noting back and forth about and talking about when we're in person together. And I'm just grateful that she exists as a person and that she would do this podcast. We talk about body image. We talk about relationships. We talk about therapy. We She gives great advice. She's one of the most spiritual and enlightened people that I know. And she's just really great and has a lovely laugh. And I hope that how wonderful she is as a friend and in person can be felt through this podcast. And I just listened back and I loved it. So I think you'll really love it too. No sponsor this week, but I just want to tell you that I am hosting my Let a Podcast Out workshop one last time. So if you've ever considered starting a podcast, now might be actually kind of a great time. And because of the current situation, I am discounting it massively. And I'm giving you guys listening right now a added discount with the code on top of that already with the code let it out. If you want to join, it's the last week. So I'd love to have you. If you have any questions, let me know. Enjoy my conversation with Brooke. I hope you guys are doing okay. And make sure you're on the email list 
the let it out letter list because I'll send you all the show notes and all the things we talk about. The link to that is right at the top of the show notes. You can just click on your phone and you know, if you have been liking these episodes and you want to support the podcast, a great way to do that is to leave a review on iTunes. That would be really cool. And maybe you have time to do it now. Maybe you've listened for a while and you've thought about it and maybe now's the time. So, all right, I'll talk to you guys at the end. Love you. First of all, thank you so much for being here, Brooke. You are one of my favorite people and you're so wise. And we've had so many great conversations over voice texts and real life and probably many lifetimes, (laughs) as, as you um and you're just so insightful and cool and one of my most favorite people in the world so thank you for doing this Mm, thank you so much for having me katie and yes definitely many lifetimes (laughs) so we were we have so many like funny inside things that we say of like takes one to know one because i just feel like we really understand each other well and I have so much I want to talk to you about, but before we were recording, we were talking about astrology a little bit and you were telling me about the astrology of today. And I was reminded, do you remember my Soothe Kit launch party? I keep joking, like I had all these weird launch parties in New York this year, but you of course were there supporting me at both of them and you're, you're in the Soothe Kit as a featured therapist and you were there, which is super cool. And do you remember I had an astrologer there? Do you remember this? Yeah. On the panel. Mm-hmm. And remember how I asked her about 2020? Like, yes. oh, give like a give a thing about it. And I had no recollection of what she said. Like I just didn't remember it at all. Mm-hmm. But my friend Carolina, our like my best friend, she mentioned the other night we were on the phone, she was like, Do you remember what Emily said about this year? And I was like, No, not at all. And we have to like, and Emily's done the podcast too. We have to have her back on the show because apparently Carolina remembers her saying that she was like, 2020 is not going to be like any other year. Shit's going to hit the fan in about February, March-ish, unclear, and the world will be different after. Wow. (laughs) Do you remember her saying that? Because I didn't remember at all. I remember listening to her, but I I don't remember the exact details. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, she was right on. Yeah, because Carolina remembered being like, wow, like 2019 was so insane. I can't believe 2020. And here we are. So anyway, speaking of this moment and just everything that's happening, how how are you feeling? How are you feeling today? Let's start in the present. Yeah, so... I'm feeling good right now being here with you, but today was a bit rocky and I feel like throughout this whole process, so much is surfacing for me personally, but also for all of us. I feel like our core wounds are surfacing. So it's been intense. However, through this time, I also have so much more space and time to tend to myself and my heart. So that allows me to really move through things more smoothly. So I'm grateful, really grateful for that aspect of all of this. You told me on voice text a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this, how your therapist who seems, and Brooke is a therapist we should mention, which we'll get into, but our resident let it out therapist, Brooke, your (laughs) therapist told you that this 
well, I'll let you say it, but basically that this period in time is making everyone very uncomfortable and whatever area it's making you most uncomfortable is the one that needs examining. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, exactly. This whole experience is is causing everyone's core wounds to surface. Yes, that's what my therapist was teaching me. And he said he's seeing it in all of his patients. And so this is not happening to hurt any of us. It's happening to help us grow. So by everything surfacing, we are able to see things really clearly and Right now, really, you know, it's difficult to escape what's surfacing because it's coming up in such a big way. So, yes, a lot is coming up, but it's all here to help us. Yeah, I mean, that when you told me that it was really comforting, like I remember where I was and I remember just feeling like that was so correct. Like that was like, oh, exactly. It's a big mirror because all of the things that it's brought up for me that are very uncomfortable and you said this as well, like were not shocking. Like they were not a bunch of new things that were brought up. It was a lot of, yeah, I forgot about that piece, core wounds. Like it's a lot of like the things that I was already aware of. I was already working towards, you know, for me, which you've heard me talk about at nauseum at length about body eating disorder, about, I mean, that's a big one that's brought up. And then there's like several tangential ones, but like I think wherever your kind of core things we've been working on have been, they're like exposed, you know, you're forced to look at them. Yeah, absolutely. What's it been bringing up for you or anything that you could share? For me, a few different things have been coming up. So as you know, I'm in recovery from bulimia. So food and body stuff is definitely coming up. But I wouldn't say that's the biggest thing. For me, it's more around speaking up and setting boundaries. That's been coming up in a big way, which those things are very much part of my life path this time around. Learning to use my voice, learning to speak up for myself and stand up for myself. That's been coming up in a really big way lately. Mm. What's been helping you with that? Probably a few different things. I mean, I have my practices like prayer and meditation, which really help me each day just to like ground and like return to the return to my heart. But also talking to Mike, my partner, he's been so supportive and not allowing my mind and my ego to run the show, like trying to root down into my heart and make decisions from there. Mm, yeah. I feel like you're good at that. Like you, you're so self-aware and you're so in your feminine and you've done so much work on yourself. It's really impressive. Thank you so much. So you're a very wise, connected person and you're a therapist. Let's go back. Did you? When did you know you wanted to be a therapist? Did you always want to help people? What was your relationship to therapy growing up? My parents joke that I was doing couples therapy with them when I was eight years old. (laughs) Like they would argue and I would pull one of them into a room and talk with them and pull the other one into a room and talk with them. Internal family systems. Right, exactly. (laughs) So I think I was doing this before I even knew what 
therapy was. But as soon as I learned what a therapist was in high school, probably, I wanted to be one. So I was never a good student. I was like very bad at math. I didn't enjoy learning about a lot of things that I was forced to learn about in school. But once I started learning about psychology and I took my first psychology class in high school, I loved it. It was like, oh, I couldn't get enough of it. Oh, that's so cool. So what was it about it that resonated with you or like was there something that was it connecting with other people and being being useful i feel like it was just inherent to who you are if it was that young i feel like i grew up as like the peacemaker in my family so i always felt very comfortable being in a role where i was listening to people or maybe helping support them through something so it 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 just felt very natural yeah so how has your work changed to like, what are you, what you're doing now? And when did it become, you know, when did the spiritual piece come in for you and how did that shift over your life? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I did the very traditional, you know, grad school program and, getting licensed takes a few years and you have to work certain internships and all of that was very traditional and like very academic. But once I was licensed and I finally had my own practice, I began working with people in a way that felt more aligned for me. And I was just naturally drawn to working with people in more of a spiritual way. And so it it sort of just naturally evolved. And then after a few years in private practice, I was feeling like my spiritual needs were not fully being met. So I wanted to begin working with people even like at a different level spiritually. So when I met Michael, we came together and now we do some healing work together as well. Yeah. Talk about working with your partner or wanting to collaborate together. Like, what has that been? I mean, I've been been friends with you since that was beginning and starting, but how has it been and, and how is it right now? Michael is highly intuitive. He's such a beautiful person, soul. He's a musician. He's a healer. And I was really inspired by everything he was doing. So I was just very pulled in by him and it, it made sense for us to begin working together. However, I also, like my ego had so much resistance to everything about Michael because he was the first person who saw me and listened to me and loved me for who I am. And before I met him, I was single for six years. So when I met him and I finally was being seen so fully, my ego freaked out and my ego was trying to find every reason not to be there. But luckily- You break up with him like every, every week. Yeah. It was, it was insane. He is a very special soul to put up with me and to stick around through all of that. Yeah, you were there for it all. I would talk to you about it all the time. We both go to the same therapist and Michael introduced me to him. (laughs) And thank God for this therapist because 
he showed me that even though I'm in recovery from bulimia and I'm not binging and purging right now, I was binging and purging with Michael. We would have beautiful times together. And then the next day I, I would be like, I can't do this. This is too much. So it was not an easy or smooth process. Yeah. Get, you know, even though it felt natural to actually do it, there was a lot of resistance on my part. But now that we're so settled and grounded, it feels so, so good and very, very like flowy and natural. Yeah, you guys are the best. I remember when I was in Bali and you, I think you were kind of going through it and you told, you had this breakthrough about relationships. And I just remember us talking about this where you were like, and, and you can, people listening can probably hear this already. Of just like your voice is so comforting and cozy and, and you have the best laugh and you, you kind of say things. Like I remember even like being in the park one day and you telling me about like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think we're going to break up. I think, like, but every time you said it, you were just, there was just this like even playfulness. Just like I knew it was always going to be okay with you. Mm-hmm. Like you have this way of speaking. And anyway, and I think what happened when, when I was in Bali, so a couple months ago, when you were just like, oh my God, I did this crazy thing where I looked at everything that was bothering me about the relationship and I turned it around on me. Or the thing <laughs> it wasn't when I was in Bali. It was like before that, but you were, we were talking about it then. Can you talk about that entire situation of how you just used it as a mirror and then what happened when you did that? Yeah. Okay. So like I said, before I I met Mike, I was single for six years. For six years, I never had any mirror. And then I met Mike and everything was just coming up. And instead of looking at myself, I was projecting everything onto Michael, you know, finding every reason to not stick around, to find every way he wasn't meeting some expectation that I had, or, you know, finding some judgments with what he was doing. I was finding every single reason. And then, yeah, it was a pretty dramatic shift. And I started looking at myself and looking within and tending to my needs and my emotional needs. And every single thing with us shifted at that point. And I stopped, like, I stopped expecting him to be something. And I just started taking care of myself in the ways that I needed. And then everything fell into place. And now he is more than I could ever, ever dream of. It's like my favorite story because it's so true. And I've heard that so many times of like, I remember talking to you about this and being like, God damn it. Like, I wish that I could have done that in my last relationship. Like, I feel like I was just around the point of like having the self-awareness to be able to be like, oh, everything that's bothering me about this situation is something that I could probably need to look at in myself. And then ultimately, I think we did have this conversation. I was like, oh, well, that means that it actually was the relationship just wasn't right. If I didn't have the self-awareness at that time, Mm -hmm. then like, I already know what you would, you would say to me about that, (laughs) which I really do believe now. But I think the thought that I had when you told me that story, I was like, Oh, that's such a cool example. And I'm so excited to try that out next time because I think it's just like, you know, I feel like it's a, it's really quite a, a 12 step thing or it's quite a, like a, a spiritual thing to be like, wow. Anything that's bothering me in 
another person is just a reflection of myself, you know, and where, where can I, why is it like going, using that as a mirror, much like this moment of going down deep and being like, what is this triggering in me? What is this bringing up in me? Yeah, exactly. So during this time, I also was learning about relationship anxiety from Cheryl Paul. And that, that was also helpful along with my therapist. And I learned a lot about how when we are projecting things onto someone else and like finding all these things they're doing wrong, it's really just a sign to look at ourselves. And I had a habit of dating men who were very avoidant. And when Mike showed up, he was so present and so loving. And I, my mind, my ego had no idea what to do with that. So instead of saying consciously like, oh, wow, this is scary, my mind just tried to find every reason to run. Mm-hmm. It was like this deeply unconscious thing. But now looking back, it's very simple to understand what was going on. Yeah. It's really impressive though that, you know, you did the, you did the work. I mean, you, you ran a bunch and then you did the work, you know? <laughs> Talk more about Cheryl Paul's work because... I remember you telling me about that a couple of months ago. It's so funny. I like remember where I was when we had these conversations. I was standing mm-hmm. in an airport listening to you. We we send a voice text to each other every single day. Yes. Um, and it's like my favorite thing in the world to listen to Brooke mm-hmm. and, and talk. And so I've in the last six months, they've been all over the world, literally. <laughs> and yeah, I remember being in an airport like you were blowing my mind because you did some courses with her. And then much like things that Lan do, several other people brought her up to me and it was just pretty fascinating. Can you explain? Yeah. So just side note, I do love our voice texts. The best. Um, Highly recommend (laughs) in friendship. (laughs) Yes. Highly recommend. So Cheryl Paul is a therapist who lives in Colorado. Her specialty is people who have a sensitive, anxious, creative, spiritual personality. So like the highly sensitive, anxious person is her specialty. Hi. Right? Hello. (laughs) Nice to meet you. So she has a bunch of online courses and she also wrote a book on anxiety and she also has a great Instagram. And she talks all about how anxiety and intrusive thoughts and obsessive thinking are all just a signal to go inward because there are feelings that are wanting to be felt. So when we're obsessing and when we're having intrusive thoughts, they keep us in our mind. You know, when when you're obsessing all day long, like you're rooted in your mind. And so she says, that's just a signal to go to your heart. When you are obsessing all day long, you're not feeling, you're just thinking. So all of this thinking and the projections and the anxiety, it's just a sign that feelings are wanting to be felt. And she is the master of that. So I highly recommend her work if this resonates. Yeah. That's kind of our whole thing is that we tend to not feel our feelings, right? Like we, which I think is kind of the human thing, really, the more I'm talking to people is like, we want to turn to something. We want to turn to food or controlling food or drinking or a person or a work or a combination of all of those things, you know, which has been the case for me. And sometimes that's okay. Like sometimes coping mechanisms are really great, 
But I think it's the work that I've done with you is like embodiment, like getting in your body and feeling things and letting it pass through you. And that's a practice. Yeah, it is a practice. So how do you do that? (laughs) It's a good question. (laughs) That's so much of the work that I'm doing also in this lifetime. And I've gotten so much better at it, but it's still, you know, it's definitely not a straight line and some days are easier than others, but I used to run from my feelings completely. I used to not even know they were there. I thought everything was fine. I thought I was fine until I was binging and purging. And and then it would be like, oh, maybe something is wrong. So the disconnect used to be severe. Now it's beautiful. Like now, if I feel feelings coming up, I just try to allow them without needing to understand why they're there or where they're coming from. It's like, just feel it. Sometimes it doesn't make any logical sense, but sometimes I just need to cry or sometimes I just feel angry and I need to let it out. So I think just allowing and not needing to to understand it logically has been very helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think we're both really can be really in our heads people. I mean, I think that's the eating disorder. We, okay, maybe let's stop there. Yeah. (laughs) We say the eating disorder and not my eating disorder, our eating disorder, because I was going to say, because Mike told us to, but there's, (laughs) there's more, there's more to that. That is true. (laughs) That is true. Yes. So, Mike would hear us talk about the eating disorder and we would say my eating disorder. Uh And he he would say, no, like this is not, you don't need to define yourself by this. This is something you have and something you're working with every day, but it's not yours. You know, that like you are beauty and power and love and abundance and spirit. Like this is not you. The eating disorder is of the ego and so I think by saying my, my, whatever, my blank, it's like you're, we are over identifying with something that really doesn't define us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, okay. So I brought up the eating disorder because <laughs> I think with that, having that be our, you know, situation, <laughs> we tend to be people who want to get out of our bodies, right? Like that by doing that, it is a way to not feel like it's a way to disconnect. It's a way to tap out. And so I think the work for both of us, and and I think what's really interesting, like some of the most rich conversations that we've had have been about the intricacies of how the eating disorder has manifested in such vastly different ways for each of us, which I think would honestly be pretty interesting to talk about here because there's like a Venn diagram of like, there's a lot of overlap on things, but there's so many different ways that it went for both of us in terms of like actual actions, but also even down to like what we make being small mean for each of us. Like an example is for Brooke being small made her feel childlike and made her feel like wanting to, I'm speaking for you. Yeah, it's perfect. And for me, it was like a way for me to differentiate myself and feel like an adult, which I thought was like that right there, I feel like is such an interesting distinction, which I want to get into. But like the whole reason I bring it up is because I think this not wanting to feel, feels so attached to that. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, like not wanting to feel feels attached to these different ways it manifests, you mean? Well, I guess I just mean like in general, like I feel like our work of learning to be in our bodies and learning to like intellectualizing things, being in our heads, being over thinkers, being Mm -hmm. people who have intrusive thoughts. Like, do you think that's connected to eating disorders? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think eating disorders are there to fill in for a parent or caregiver, primary caregiver, who maybe wasn't able to help us regulate ourselves. Maybe they were absent or maybe they were not able to hold their own feelings. So how could they hold ours? And I think we develop these ways of self-regulating and self-soothing that keep us out of the feelings because when we're younger, it helps us survive. But when we're older, we realize it's harmful and we don't need that anymore. But yeah, I think the goal is to keep us out of our bodies and out of our feelings, definitely. And it's control. You know, I think it's a way to feel in control of uncertainty, right? It's like a way to, which again, I think is maybe why it's coming up right now in in several ways of like being home more. and, And there's a lot with that too. But like, I think we both had that aspect of it where I feel like that's kind of involved in everything is like a way to feel like you're able to control uncertainty. Definitely. Yes. So yeah, whether you grew up in a home that felt very uncertain or whether you're feeling so uncertain now with what's going on in the world, I think uncertainty is part of being human. But having these outside external ways of feeling in control, like really help the ego feel safe, but it's not actually giving us more control. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about, like you mentioned this of how your bulimia of like taking in, but not holding on. And we, we had a really good conversation the other day about how mine was so different than that of like mine is more like in your case that manifests of like well I'll just have you speak about that of how that manifests for you like the bulimia of like not wanting getting rid of things and what you were telling me the other day yeah it is really fascinating that we both are in recovery from these eating disorders but they manifest so differently yeah um yeah so I think it's really interesting for people to hear the differences So the bulimia for me involved binging and purging mostly and over-exercising. So the binging would be this way to immediately self-soothe and just like regulate the whatever feelings were going on that I was unable to handle. So the eating was this like immediate regulation. But because growing up, I didn't have someone who was able to hold my energy. My parents are amazing, but they were only able to do what they knew. And so eating a lot makes you feel full. And that's the last thing I would want to feel because that involves holding energy. Like I don't want to sit there feeling so full because for me, that's just another thing to try to manage. So the purging allowed me to get rid of it immediately. So I would self-soothe and then I would get rid of it and then it would be like it never happened. I would be 
you know, empty again. And that for me was felt soothing in itself because I don't like to hold on to things like the whole thing with Michael that we were talking about. But even in smaller ways, like I don't leave my text message threads in my phone because I don't want to hold on to that. Or I delete all my emails or my mom is trying always to buy me new clothes and gifts and all these things. And I get resistance to it. Like I don't want a lot of material objects. So my work that I'm working on right now a lot with my therapist is holding energy and how it's okay to hold it. And in fact, I'm worthy of holding the energy. So my therapist says, everything is everything. You know, your core wound shows up all over your life in different ways. It's very fascinating. Oh yeah, I love that he says that. And that's what's so interesting because mine is so different than that of like, I, I didn't have binging and purging, but I had in, in the way it manifests in my life now, when you told me that, I was like, huh, I wonder how that is for me. And then I, I think mine was like being too discerning, too like indecision of like, oh, like it needing to be perfect before I took anything in. And that is so true in my life. It's like, I still can't make a decision to save my life. Or like, I guess we should we should reframe that of like working on making decisions better yeah. or like buying and returning <laughs> like just and you know and and that is spot on to the way like everything is everything you know mm-hmm. yeah it's so fascinating the the differences i think with this and with healing like another thing i want you to define that you i don't know if you even remember bringing this up but it was a a concept that's very well known that but i hadn't heard of before you were the one that brought it up to me. Um, do you know what I'm going to say? No, I'm so curious. Harm reduction model. Oh, Can yeah. you talk about that, what it is and how it relates to healing in general, but specifically, you know, what we're working with here? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So there are different models of recovery and no one is, you know, better or worse. It's sort of whatever you're drawn to. But so there's an abstinence model where in recovery, you don't ever use the thing you are trying to not use. And it's very black and white. You're either using it or you're not. There's also harm reduction where it says in your process of recovery, if you just try to use less than you're using, that's beautiful. Or if you just try to limit the amount of harm you're doing, that's beautiful. It doesn't have to be this perfect thing. So with food, it's so helpful because food can be, food is not black and white. You know, you don't just stop eating or eat. We're human beings, we have to eat. And so, yeah, harm reduction is beautiful for this, I think. Yeah, I'm wondering why you brought it up to me this fall or what specifically we were talking about. Or I think I probably, you know, had a day where like I didn't do what I wanted to do or I didn't, you know, do things in a way that I wanted to. And you have this way of gentleness and and helping me forgive myself quickly and not spiral into making things so debilitating and, and moving on and feeling better as quickly as possible. And that's what I love about harm reduction model. I was like, Oh, and I I think you gave this example too when you explained it to me that really made me understand what it was of like, instead of saying that you 
if, if you're going to, let's say, eat emotionally, which, you know, we don't believe is bad, instead of, you know, being like, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat, sitting on your hands, being like, instead of having the whole cake, having like a slice instead of not having mm-hmm. any at all is like a, a nice idea, maybe, you know? I think that's the example you gave me. But like, I think this is such a useful model and really the only one that's possible because we talk about this all the time because Brooke and I are, you know, we really like the ideas from the 12 steps and they've been really, really useful to us. And we talk about them with each other a lot. And, and I think the idea of surrender, the idea of being a kind, decent human being, self-awareness, like all of these things are universal truths that I think are so useful and helpful and have been so helpful in, in my life over the last year or so. And with other recovery communities of like, I often say this as like sort of a joke, but I'm like, God, I wish that it was drugs or I wish that it was something that an abstinence model was possible for. But like with with food, with codependency, mm-hmm. with some of these more intricate things that an abstinence model isn't isn't possible, you know, it's just it's a, just a bit more intricate, you know? And and I think harm reduction can be really useful in that sort of a situation. Absolutely. And what you just said, like you hear that a lot in the 12 step food rooms. Like people are wishing, you know, it could be so black and white. Right. Yeah. Um but if it was, I mean, I think we've talked about this before too, but like if it was, it would just be something else. What's your thought on that of like why why this? Because I think you're you're always so good at being like this is your this is what you came here to learn, you know, like when you get into that place, like how do you you know, when you get frustrated about like your addiction or your thing that you're working with. Yeah, when I first began recovery, it was so hard just to get through a day without binging and purging and I used to get really angry like why can't I just be you know like a regular person who eats food and goes through the day but you know we know that everyone is human and everyone has their struggles and now that I've had years to practice all this stuff like I really am so deeply grateful for this eating disorder it helped wake me up it brought me to God it brought me to love which are the same thing, you know? And this was just the way that my soul chose to wake up this time around. Everyone has their own thing. And now looking back, like it really has helped me so much. Yeah, I I think it's like the sooner we can get to that, the sooner we can let go of the resistance of like, as soon as we can let go of the struggle and just be like, okay, this is the way the cookie crumbled. Like that allows for some peace and some resistance to lessen where I think that brings in situational magnetism, right? Like I think that brings in, you know, and I think, I don't know if that's a term that our friend Lacey Phillips made up or one that is just one that we, you and I really, really like. And I have a particular story about this, but do you feel like you, which I will tell, but do you, do you feel like you, after, when you did one day at a time, start working with healing that, do you feel like you saw situational magnetism occur for you? And you can maybe, or I'll like, I'll try my hand at explaining what it is by like briefly telling that before you answer that question, I'll briefly tell the story. 
So basically my whole thing, which we can get into more as well, is like not eating meals (laughs) properly. So I didn't want to do it. And it was this like weird rainy night. And I went into this... I don't even know what my deal was this day or like what was happening. I I don't remember the details of it, but it was like really rainy. And I find myself in this ramen Mm -hmm. place by myself, like late at night, basically in my pajamas. I think I was like dropping something off at my roommates around or my best friends around the corner from me. And so I just like thought I was running out for a second. And so I was fully in pajamas and (laughs) I sat at the bar eating this ramen and it was good for... I'll just say this. It was like good for me to do that and like doesn't seem like a big deal thing, but was. And like across the bar, there was this like handsome guy sitting there and I was just there eating my ramen. He was there eating my his ramen and we were the only two people there. And as we were leaving, we didn't speak, but we just were like there with each other and I wasn't really on my phone. And then right as we were walking out, he asked for my number and asked me on a date about... And nothing came of it, but I texted Brooke right after. And it was... She was just like, that is situational magnetism. That yeah. is you doing something that was correct, that was challenging for you, and you were rewarded with something immediately. And I always think of that example, and I always will, because every time I'm scared to do something, but I know it's the right thing. Like, I, And I believe, and I'm thinking of this more and more and more, that of the spiritual connection between body image and eating disorder recovery and that making you a better, kinder, more compassionate human being. And so I think of that story every time. So has that been the case for you? Like, have you seen situational magnetism with that? Definitely. And even just the other day, you reminded me of that because during this whole time, I've been, the way I'm eating has changed. And I used to be very addicted to exercise. So I don't work out anymore. I just do very gentle movement that I enjoy. But even with that, I can be very obsessive and rigid about. So during this time, I've really been trying to let go of it, you know, just let go of it and eat in a nourishing way. And my ego has been really putting up a fight. And you reminded me, like, Brooke, situational magnetism. And you're so right. Like, I, I feel like, Whenever I do something loving for myself that my ego is freaking out about, there's always something I gain in return, even if it's a feeling, which sometimes that's the best thing, you know, like feeling peace or joy or freedom. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's gentleness over rigidity. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. this is another example of like you and I have talked about this many times, but how the eating disorder for us really complements each other. I think like our two are so different that when like I, my most recent manifestation of it was like eating whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, but it was a lot of rigidity around that (laughs) and like timing and whatever, whatever, but it like wasn't with what I was eating. It was more with, with how much and restricting in other ways that, are not useful to get into. Um, But Brooks was more with the rigidity and like, you know, she would eat consistently at, you know, at different, at consistent times and and proper meals. But like she had a lot, a lot of rigidity on what, and and Mm -hmm. I 
I feel like I was kind of pushing you yeah. <laughs> to have more gentleness there. And you were pushing me to have more kind of, kind of structure and like, cause I was so intuitive about my eating that I kind of made that restrictive of like, eh, like, like I, I didn't have enough boundaries that I wasn't eating enough. And you w- were like, more focused on yeah like maybe you can talk about that but i just think that was really interesting like the push pull that we've had as friends of like talking about that and seeing we, we always say this with each other like when i share something with you like you've said that's at the beginning of how we we're like takes one to know one you know like i think we can see each other really clearly because we have a, a different different iterations but very similar addiction you know or i don't know if i want to like addiction i guess yeah, all that I say addiction. Um, yeah, I mean it is it, like you know the whatever they say like the whole we're gaping hole we're trying to fill with like all you know all yeah. of these things. Right, I feel like an addiction is there to prevent you from feeling, to keep you from feeling your feelings, and that's definitely what the eating disorders are doing. Right, you were a beautiful mirror for me because. I was just going about my rigid ways, not binging or purging. So thinking everything's great, but you really helped me see that the rigidity was too much and it wasn't really serving me. Um, So yeah, I think we're beautiful mirrors for each other and we're both really into self-compassion and being very gentle, which is very nice. Yeah. And I think what's so beautiful about this friendship, I'm just like laughing about this now because I remember one day this summer we were in the park. I'm very into like saying where I was in this <laughs> podcast for some reason. But one day this summer we were we were walking around the park and I just remember just laughing because I was like, look, Brooke, I like I was kind of telling you, like, I'm noticing this, but no big deal. Like, don't worry about like, and I get it. And you were kind of saying this to me. You're just like, dude, like, I think you need to like eat lunch, you know? And I was like, I know, you know, like, I know it keeps going, but I'm not doing it. And you were like, I know, but like, I'm not going to do it. And we both are just like, all right, peace. Great. Like, to know. <laughs> yeah. Like we both know the things that we need to be doing, but we're just like, yeah, I'm not ready yet. Like, nope, nope, nope. I totally saw it in you and I was like, but I didn't push it. I wasn't like, I see this, please, please change it. And you just <laughs> changed it on your own. And it was kind of the same with me. And the, and it's not like it's perfect for either of us, but it's yeah. just, I think because we had different manifestations of the same thing. I wonder if this is interesting for anyone else listening, or if this is just like, you know, a, a very inside baseball look at our own particular addictions. I hope it's helpful. <laughs> I mean, I think it's fascinating from like a psychological perspective. I think so too. And I feel like so many people struggle with food and body stuff. So totally. it resonates. Yeah. And I think it's, I think the part that can resonate whether people struggle with it or not is just that like, we all have stuff like, and I have a lot of stuff like work addiction and addiction to like not having anyone be mad at me and like a real indecisive spiral. Like, you know, like we all have, have our stuff. And I think to just know that like, you can talk about it with friends in this really gentle way. And you can be, here's the, here's the point I want to make. You can be self-aware and still choose not to change or take a long time to change and not be linear in the way that you change. And that's okay. And I think that's what this whole story of like what we just described 
is teaching us is that you kind of fall. I, I think we fall into growth. You know, we're kind of forced and dragged. At least that's how it's been for me. Like I've been like kind of forced and dragged into it sometimes, and I've resisted. And again, it's like letting go of the struggle and just sort of falling into it. That's when I've had the most success. But force and push and being mean to myself hasn't gotten me anywhere. It's the gentleness and the, like you said, self-compassion that's like been any form of success with it. Mm, Definitely. I agree completely. It's like this daily check-in with ourselves. All right, I'm interrupting this episode to tell you about Let a Podcast Out one more time (laughs) in depth. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know about it. If you are new here, again, welcome. I have been hosting this podcast since 2013, and I made a resource on the internet, a workshop that brings people together around making a creative project. It's called Let a Podcast Out, and it's a eight-week how-to podcast workshop that guides you through the entire process from coming up with a concept and an idea to sharing it with people and marketing it and interviewing. And it's not just me. I also have over a dozen other podcasters sharing exactly what they do and it's different from me and I think that that adds a lot of value and the best part of it is that it's a community it's a workshop that we can all bounce ideas off of each other which I think is really cool so if you're interested and you want to do it I know I said this at the beginning but you can join at a discounted rate right now because of the current situation as well as get an additional $25 off with the code let it out All right, back to my conversation with Brooke. I hope you're enjoying it. Isn't she great? So I want to go back to that because we were talking a couple weeks ago about spiritual connection and like the daily practice. I want to know what that is for you and both the psychological and the spiritual connection of like what you're learning right now from this and from everything that's coming up for you. Yeah. Hmm, that's a great question. I feel like everything that's been coming up and everything that's been happening lately, personally, uh, I'm learning, you know, Deborah, Mama Medicine always says growth is a spiral and you will heal something and then you will come back to it. When you think you've healed it completely, it will come back and you'll heal it at an even deeper level. and. I think this human journey is just helping me learn to be compassionate with myself and I don't have to do things perfectly. I get mad at myself sometimes when I move through something challenging in a way that, you know, I wish I could have done it differently looking back and I can be hard on myself about that. And that's not serving me. It's not serving the collective self-compassion being kind to myself is the most helpful thing I can do for myself and everyone else too. So I really think being compassionate towards myself is coming up in a, in a really big way. What do you do? We mentioned intrusive thoughts when you were talking about Cheryl Paul's work. What are some ways that you are compassionate to intrusive thoughts or like what do you recommend doing when we have intrusive thoughts? Yeah. So I used to suffer from really bad body dysmorphia, 
which is all intrusive thoughts and obsessive thinking. So through Cheryl Paul's work, I've learned so much. And through the work I've been doing over the years, when thoughts like that come in, like if you look in the mirror and you have a thought that you don't like how you look, that's just a thought, you know, like thoughts are not facts. So that's what I tell myself. If thoughts come in that are intrusive or obsessive, I just try to not get hooked by them. You know, it's like a a fishing rod. You don't need to get hooked by the thoughts. They're just thoughts. Mike and I made a meditation for this. It's free. It's on Insight Timer. We made it for this very purpose because we would wake up in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day, we would just be stuck in our minds. Our minds would be driving us crazy. And we were like, we need to make a meditation for when this happens. So it's just like the goal is to go from your head to your heart. Yeah. Is that the one I've been doing? Yes. So good. It's so good. Because yeah, you say in it, and Brooke has the best voice, you are not your thoughts. And I think it's that like self identifying, much like with using the term the eating disorder instead of my eating disorder. I think when we align ourselves with these identities or these thoughts can feel so real to switch them in our mind is so incredibly useful. I've been having more success with it lately of like, I think because to me, I think a gift of this situation we're in, the pandemic, forces presence in a way of like, Mm -hmm. it's more challenging to plan things. It's more, there's just less people. It's more primal, you know, like it feels systems are breaking down. Like it's just, it's more primal is really what I comes down to, I think. And I feel like that amount of presence gives me a clear picture of what matters when you're in sort of a crisis, there's a bit of focus that can kind of happen that that I'm able to kind of push some of those thoughts away and kind of be like, I have bigger fish to fry here, you know? Mm-hmm. I got this interesting question. So as you know, Serena and I host this podcast about anxiety and someone yeah. sent me a, a DM today that said, okay, here's this question. Can you and Serena talk about this? And I would love your perspective on this too, Britt, because she asked... And I related to it so much, but I never heard it articulated this way. She's like, sometimes the only way for me to get over a spiral is to get into a different spiral. Mm, That's so funny because I was just thinking how like if it's... Okay. Yeah. I was just thinking when we pay attention to the thoughts themselves, it doesn't matter if we solve one thing at the surface, it will just be another thing. You know, like if it's not this, it will be another thing. I don't know if I'm explaining this well. Yeah, totally. No, totally. Like getting into another spiral is a distraction from what was going on. Yep. But the trick with intrusive or obsessive thinking is to know that whatever the thought is about is completely insignificant. So if you are someone who is obsessing over your body, or maybe you are obsessing over, you got a stain on your shirt and it's driving you crazy in like an OCD type of way. If you change your shirt, the obsession will just move to something else. Mm -hmm. So it's like if if we work at these things at the surface, 
the the root cause is not getting addressed. So I want anyone listening who's, who struggles with this to try thinking of intrusive obsessive thinking as simply a signal. It's just a signal that there are feelings within that are wanting to be felt. It's just like an alert button and thinking keeps you in your mind. So obsessive thinking just keeps you thinking and it keeps you from feeling. So it's really a way to protect yourself from feeling, even though it's torturous and uncomfortable. It's a way that your mind is protecting you from feeling feelings. So if you, to, to the person who asked this question, like, well, did you even finish the question? I just jumped in. <laughs> no, I mean, that. I think her question was just like, that doesn't seem like a good choice. You know, like she's just kind of like, I would like a better solution than another <laughs> spiral, you know? And it, which I think, I think you're giving her, which is feeling, right? Yeah. Feeling is always the answer when the mind is going crazy. So how do we do that? How do we feel? Because that's... Like, I know I'm, I'm, everybody tells me I'm in my head. I'm not in my body. Like what, what is that embodiment? Yeah, it's, it's a, (laughs) it's a tough tough thing to put into words, I guess, because everyone is so different. Uh For me, it really helps if I talk with someone about what's coming up for me. Totally, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like when I'm alone, it's a lot easier for me to zip it up. Like I'll want to cry sometimes, but it's difficult. But if I start talking with you or Mike or something, it's much easier for me to let it out. Mm-hmm. So there's that. You can just lie down with your hands over your heart and just breathe and allow whatever is wanting to come up to surface. Like all feelings want is to be felt. I have a dear friend who says that. And they just need the space and time and safety to arise. In, in the busyness of daily life, it's very difficult for feelings to come up. So we need to make time to tend to our hearts and like check in with our inner world so that these things can get some airtime. Yeah. This might be a good time for that, you know, which is kind of like the last thing we want to do. And someone told me this is a collective timeout Mm, that we all don't want to be depending on where we are like don't want to be in timeout and so we're resisting but once we can just be like okay i'm in timeout it will be over but let me think about what we've done you know (laughs) and that feels really true you know i think to the planet to ourselves to our busyness i mean i've talked about this already on the podcast and to you in my one-on-one podcast back and forth with brooke but like when this Mm -hmm. all was was happening I was laughing so hard because something that was a theme of my last year, which I talked about at length with Brooke, which was like running around New York City so fast, I didn't have to feel and being so busy that I didn't have to feel. And also for me, if I'm being honest, avoiding emotional eating, you know, because if I wasn't Mm going to, if I was going to be at home, 
and I wasn't going to feel, I would probably turn to food. But if I was out and about, I would turn to work and other people. So I was like, oh, I'll avoid avoid two things, you know? And really, you know, the feeling I didn't want to feel was like being alone. Mm -hmm. And that was so uncomfortable and jarring for me because I hadn't been alone for a really long time. And I suddenly was. And I was scared and I didn't want to feel it and I didn't know how to do it. And Brooke, you remember this, how you were like, let's like have a night where you stay in and take a bath and like, how can I support you? Because you need to learn to do that. And I just kept like every night I would have free, I would schedule something and I would overschedule and I like just would avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. And then I went traveling where I was like a way to force myself to kind of rest and have instead of, instead of learning to say no, I just like left the hemisphere. <laughs> and then as soon as I got back, I started to go into all of those old patterns again. And then this happened. <laughs> Um, which was like, you know, really in my little tiny world, a way for me to examine, okay, what, what am I doing and why? And like, that's my version of the timeout. And so I wonder if other people are having similar experiences that are showing, you know, again, like going back to what your therapist said, what core wounds are kind of coming up here for people to see, you know, like that was mine. And I wonder if that mirrors anybody else's. Absolutely. Yeah, this was coming up in a big way for you. And I personally know a bunch of people right now who are having a really challenging time being home so much. So it's for all the people who are home right now, it's definitely bringing things up. Yeah, it's interesting. And like, I think for you, like you like being home and you, you, yeah. do you, do you feel like you even have that to the other extreme? <laughs> like I should get out more. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think that, but like, do you feel like that is your, like my propensity is to right. be out too much? Like, do you feel like you have to force yourself or do you feel like it's, you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. I don't think that I think you do, you're fine. If anything, it's good. But was that, were you always that way? Yeah, I always loved being home. As a teenager, I would go out with friends and stuff, but mostly I just love being home. I feel very safe and comfy at home. I definitely have to force myself to make plans and to go out because I know that's healthy. But if it were up to me, I'd probably just be home every single day all the time. That's what I meant, like the little bit, like the little bit of forcing, you know, like the little bit of forcing, like me to know that, like, I should probably force myself in a couple nights and you, like, in the other way. Also, I'm spiraling right now. I hope that didn't sound like. No, I laughed because you're (laughs) right. And any other person in my life would say, yes, Katie, we agree with you. But I think it is really, again, it's like, I think that's why I I think we get along so well. And we have this like really cool, interesting relationship is like, we have very, we understand each other so well, but have very different things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we, we love like learning about each other. Yeah. It's just interesting. It's really interesting. And I think, you know, maybe if we had met in a different context or a different time, maybe it wouldn't have you know, kind of happened in this way. And I love it. Like I'm so, it's one of my favorite relationships in my life that I'm so incredibly grateful for. And um, it's just really interesting. I was thinking about that today. I feel like so much of life is connection and timing 
and right place, right time. And it just, you know, kind of the fickleness of life. And we can't be too attached to anything. It's it's when we're not when we're not attached, when we're just allowing, that's when, you know, things happen. And you know, that that attachment that is just just so damaging, really. Yeah. The ego wants control. And it's so funny because when we surrender, what we are given is more beautiful than we could ever imagine. But we fight hard to have things go our way. Yeah. I don't know if that made sense for what you just said. No, it does. It does. And that's like, how do you remind yourself when you're feeling a little too attached to something? How do you taper that or like when you notice like oh I'm attached to this outcome how do you shift in the past I would minimize it and say oh it's fine I didn't really care but I know better now not to say that that still doesn't happen sometimes but now I would try to allow for the disappointment allow for the sadness or grief over the thing while also knowing and trusting wholeheartedly that the universe has got me. Every single time I don't get what I want, I see looking back that it was exactly what needed to happen. You know, like all the breakups that I was so heartbroken over, thank God they happened because they led me to Michael. So I personally just trust so deeply in the workings of the universe and and love. And I trust we are taken care of. Even when in the moment, we may not have any understanding of what's going on, or it may not make any sense. I do trust that it will over time. Yeah, I really love that about you. And I'm trying to, I think that's why we kind of need support, you know, to have that trust and be able to talk it out. Definitely. Because it's easy in the moment when you're disappointed to forget that. So mm-hmm. hopeful to have someone just mirror it back to you. Yeah. And then the sooner you can pivot, the the better that feels and letting go of that struggle, you know, like we've been talking about. But also like something else I you do very well is magical thinking. What does that mean to you, magical thinking? I immediately am feeling like, oh no, I don't I don't know what it means. <laughs> well, no, you don't. I, I mean, I think I, I'm not really sure either. <laughs> but here's here's why I bring it up because Serena, yeah. my co-host of Spiraling, says it all the time. And she says that I'm a magical thinker and she doesn't really allow for magical thinking because she's a realist and she's mm. really practical. And I'm like, like the second we started Spiraling, the not the thing that I do in my mind a lot, but the podcast, I was like, let's make t-shirts and we should do a tour and maybe we'll be like two dope queens and have an HBO show. And like, I was like this whole thing. And she was just like, Oh my God, we're just like making podcasts. Come on. Like we're, we're just like having toast at my kitchen table, like one thing at a time, man, you know, but I'm an extremist and an idealist and I can kind of like go there quickly. And I don't know why Brooke, but for some reason when I was making your notes, I just wrote down in capital letters and circled it talk to you about magical thinking. I love that. I think that's beautiful. And okay, like, yes, I am a big magical thinker. That's what I thought. Yeah. Totally get Serena, you know, and it, it makes perfect sense. But I believe and I I just see it all over the place that like 
huge miracles are possible. What you believe is true for you. So if you have this like very grounded way of thinking and perceiving the world, that's what your experience will be. And if you believe miracles can happen and things can be magical and and you believe in synchronicities and all these things, I believe that's what you'll experience. So like there's no wrong way. It's sort of just like what works for you. But yeah, I think I'm like hyper magical. (laughs) Well, I think the downside to that, which we've talked about before, which I'm trying to work with with myself now is expectations. Like I'm kind of like, I just want to lower all of my expectations because that goes back to non-attachment, right? Because it's like, like today something really good happened. Like I got this email that's like a, a really good, like two really good things happened that I really wanted. I'll tell you specifically Ooh, about them yeah. after. But they were things like that I I felt really peaceful about. I was like, I kind of thought they would happen. I was pretty certain that they that they would, but but still like genuinely surprising where you know very well because I talked to you about this at length. I had something I really wanted. I knew was a long shot, but I thought was a possibility. And I was like crushed by it last week. And I feel like the things that happen in my life are are never like I, I'm, it's very very rare that like something good is ever like shocking. Like I've had very few instances where I'm like, what? Pardon? Like every time it's like, yeah, yeah I kind of thought that would happen. You know what I mean? And so I feel like it's like tapering that like your expect like I don't want to say lowering my expectations, but like I think that doesn't make the lows as low if you can kind of do that. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I think the, the, the trick or the key is to maybe just generally believe that the universe is so loving and so magical, but don't have like specific expectations because there's a grand plan at play here. Mike and I always say that. Like, there's a grand plan at play here and things might not go the way our ego wants, but our ego doesn't know what's going on. So maybe just believe that magic is possible, but also trust that if something specific doesn't work out, it's only for your highest good. Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's just it, it goes back to surrender and trust and just like being present, yeah. you know? Yeah. You talk a lot about, or the other day you were you very down the rabbit hole of Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Tolle? Tolle? What's your thought on that, first of all? Big Tolle. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. Everyone's different. Um, <laughs> but what have, what have you been like, what's maybe one lesson of his lately, other than be present, <laughs> um, that has really resonated with you? that you could share? Eckhart taught me and teaches me so much. His work is the type of work you can, you can read it or listen to it every single day and always right. bring something new or be reminded. So he reminds me every day that when I allow my mind to run the show, insanity follows. Like if I am moving through the day rooted in my thinking mind, I'll drive myself crazy. But instead, if I root into my heart or if I root into love, then I will be, or presence, then I will be grounded and I'll make decisions that are more supportive for myself. 
Mm, yeah. So how does that relate to body image and body dysmorphia? Because I feel like it's pretty closely related. Yeah. So because body dysmorphia and, and body exercise food stuff is rooted in the mind, it's all thinking. Eckhart's whole message is just like leave your mind alone. Like you don't really need it. If your mind is going nuts, you can either become very present and just notice what's going on in the moment that you're in. Or if that's too challenging, you can just observe your thinking mind. Like sometimes I'll look in the mirror, you know, I'll go to the bathroom, wash my hands and I'll look in the mirror and I'll have some like crazy body dysmorphia thought. And I just witness it. I just say, oh, wow. Okay, cool. Body dysmorphia thoughts coming in. That's cool. My mind's just doing that thing. And then I leave the bathroom and I don't get hooked. Some days are harder than others. Obviously, I'm human, but all the body stuff is rooted in the mind. So if you just become present or enter your heart, body stuff doesn't exist in the heart. It's all of the ego. It's interesting Okay, I really want to talk about your course because you made this body dysmorphia course the other day and Brooke texted me and she's like, um, it all came to me so quickly and like I, I made a course. And I was like, what? Like that's a great... I was in Australia and I was just like, I, again, remember where I was <laughs> um, on the street corner. And I was just so excited and proud of you. And I haven't even like fully gotten into every bit of it, but I know it's going to be so useful to me, walk me through, and I'm sure this is in the course and I want to hear more about the course in a minute too, but like, okay, so let's say I'm in the bathroom or I catch a weird look at myself in the mirror or a window or whatever. To me, I, this is what my, I feel like this is not my ego, but maybe you will correct me. I, or my ego or my real self would say, that's not actually body dysmorphia. That's just like the way your face looks and you don't like it. It's like, because my big thing is like, it's not body dysmorphia. I like my, my clothes actually fit differently. And it's like, actually my body has changed. You know what I mean? Or like my face doesn't look like it used to look or like, so what is the, I guess the thought of like that not being good, that part isn't useful. You know what I mean? Right. I would say, your spirit, your soul knows that you are deeply beautiful no matter what. Like There is no exception to that rule. You are love. You are beauty. So any thought, even if your body has actually changed shape or size, it doesn't affect your beauty at all. You are beautiful no matter what. And any thought that is coming in to tell you otherwise is rooted in the mind, is rooted in fear, is rooted in ego. Well, and there's just like, what is it feeding you? Like someone in Bali, this healer that I was working with, he said this thing of like, upgrade your thought of like, every time I was having a thought like that of like, okay, sure, got it, great, I get it, like thinking that my face is looks terrible and like my nose is too big and this and that and like going down the rabbit hole. Like what is that really, even if it's true, what does it give you to keep thinking of that? It takes me away from being present. It takes me away from helping other people. It takes me away from like anything productive. So I guess it's kind of like, what's the, what's the point? What is that feeding? You know? 
Right. So I would say there's no need to get hooked by those thoughts because all they are is a signal that feelings are underneath. So like if your body changes, what does that bring up for you? What feelings are underneath? Because that's where we want to get to. Your beauty, your worth doesn't change a bit, but there's a lot of fear there. And that's what I would want to address. Oh, that's really cool. So is this sort of thing in the workshop, in the course? Yeah. So the course is super simple and straightforward. And it's everything that helped me the most recover from the body dysmorphia that really used to like trap me in my house. Now I just stay home because I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I talk a lot about this, about the thoughts and how to not get hooked by them and, you know, ways to put yourself out in the world again. And because body dysmorphia or body anything can keep us so much from having certain experiences or entering certain situations or wearing certain clothes you're worthy of living a full life. So I tried to help you do that. Oh, that's so good. I'm so proud of you. What a useful resource. I'm so happy that I have this. Thank you. What's something, is there something from it that you could share right now that we could all use? Like one thing maybe hmm. that's useful to you? Or is it? are they all kind of longer exercises? Well, I think what we just spoke about is really important, like not getting hooked by the thoughts because once you get hooked, it's just a downward, really long spiral. Just know that when the thoughts come in, it's just a signal that there are feelings underneath. I do put one, I give like a lot of actions to do. And one of them is something I use every single day, every single time I see myself in the mirror, I look straight into my eyes And I say something really loving, like, I love you. You're beautiful. You know, you're doing an amazing job today. And I try not to make looking in the mirror about what I look like. Like I'll glance in the morning to get ready, but there is no need, absolutely no need to be staring at ourselves at every angle to see what we look like or to say mean things to ourselves. Like stop the staring. It's not serving you. And start looking into your eyes and saying something loving. Oh, that's so important and good. So last night, so I have a really bad habit of staring and picking my face (laughs) Um, for no reason. And I had like a, this was actually a couple of days ago when I was sad about the previous thing mentioned. I had like not even, it was like a blackhead that was like not even like pickable. (laughs) And I like, picked my face and got this big scar. And then I was like, there's an example of a spiral turning to another spiral. Now I'm upset about, you know, whatever. And I remember I had an acne expert on the podcast, like in 2013, like a holistic acne healing person. And of course, you know, that everyone knows picking is it is never a good idea. (laughs) However, in the moment it seemed we forget all logic and just like start. I feel like it's just a thing that I continue to do. And I remember her saying this to me of like, when we are staring in the mirror at ourselves, picking our skin, it's a way to not feel. It's a way to feel, mm-hmm. be in control. It's a way to much like all these things we've been talking about. It's a way to 
tap out, you know, not be in the present moment. You're like doing this other thing. It's a distraction, you know? And I think everything comes back to that. But I really like what you said of like, there's no reason for me to be looking at myself closely enough to see that imperfection and be like, yeah, I think I'm going to pick at that. Yeah. So I would call something like that, like staring in the mirror and picking at our face, like that's a compulsive behavior. Yeah. And you're doing it because in the moment, maybe it's relieving anxiety or helping you feel in control over the situation, but it's highly addictive and it's not, it's not serving you and it's keeping you from feeling feelings, right? Like, like that they said. Yeah. I mean, it all comes back to that. I mean, it's like you were saying with the obsessive, like if you have a stain on your shirt and being upset about that or changing your outfit multiple times or decisions, you know, like Adam, who's a mutual friend of ours, who's been on the podcast and talked about this, where like, he always talks about this of like getting the dopamine from making a decision and feeling like that was correct and then reversing the decision and making it again. And I relate to that so much. And I think we all can to some extent that I just have to get this right or I just have to do this one thing or if this person texts me back or if this, if I get this, like then I'll have the relief. And it's like, that is so debilitating, you know? Oh yeah. All these things that we do keep us in our minds and they keep us away from our heart and our spirit and our, our life force. Yeah. What's, what gets you back in when you, when you notice you're out what helps you come back? Ooh, I love nature. So if I just step outside, even for like 10 seconds, the air, it just is so grounding. If I can't step outside or if I want to do something else, I'll take a bath. Deborah always says water is the most powerful element and it's so cleansing. Yeah. Like think about how you feel after a hot shower or bath. It's just like, whoo. It really is like... And the Balinese say that... I mean, you know my whole story from Bali. But the Balinese say that's the only way to cleanse is to be in water. It's like a really Mm. beautiful tradition. I love that. You got me started. You and Deborah really got me started on baths. Mm. I know. I love that you're into them. Yeah, I'm fully into them. Another thing I wanted, so let's do these as kind of quick fire because I know it's like way past your bedtime in New York, but (laughs) being a therapist and and I've asked you this before because I I think I wrote about this in my column, but what would you say about the usefulness of therapy, which people listening to this have heard me talk about at nauseum and, (laughs) you know, obviously we love therapy in this family, but showing up and being yourself in therapy and integrating therapy. Can you just give some advice on actually like getting your money's worth, I guess, or like really actually integrating? Yes. So it's very important first and foremost that you have someone who you trust and feel safe with, who you can really open up to. This may not happen right away, but over time, it's very important that you go there and you can be as honest with yourself and this other person as possible. Also, your therapy needs may change over time. So you may be working with someone for a few years and then find maybe they're not challenging you enough and you're sort of staying stagnant and you may want to switch and get a new therapist. That's okay. It's perfectly normal. 
I think it's, it's easy to sometimes find a therapist who we feel really comfy with and we can stay there for a long time, but perhaps we're not being challenged to really look at ourselves closely. Not that this doesn't always happen, but it's something that can happen. Like it's very, you want to make sure you're growing and learning and having the unconscious become conscious so you can see these things you do more clearly and work on them. But it also depends on what you're working on. You know, if you're going for trauma, it's it's very different. So yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That was great. We love therapy in, in this family. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll do these last ones as as quick fire questions, but there is there anything that you wish that I would have asked that you didn't get to that you I have a lot of quick maybe I should ask you this after I ask you more questions, <laughs> but is there anything else that like, you know, that you feel like we you wanted to circle back to or anything that we missed picking up the thread on? Uh no. This feels good. You're good. You're an amazing interviewer. Oh, that's so nice. Okay, well, we're just we're just getting started. This is the best part. <laughs> Don't say that yet. Um, what is your favorite fruit? If you had to choose one, ooh, green grapes. Green grapes, huh? Interesting choice. Mm-hmm. I like grapes, but they would not be my favorite. Ooh, I'll eat yours if you don't want them. Okay, great. I mean, do you remember we once were in Times Square? Yes. Late at night. I'm pretty sure we had grapes and we both, we got, we were the only people in this. Like Times Square date. Yeah, it was very bizarre, but like the best. (laughs) The best. Tea and and I'm pretty sure there were grapes now that I think of it. Yeah, we had fruit and tea. It was great. What is the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Cauliflower pizza with salad and chicken on top. Oh, great. It sounds really good. Yeah. What is your ideal morning ritual? I pray, I meditate, and then I do some stretching. What does uh, we always, your stretching just made me smile because we always <laughs> talk about this. Like, I have these physical therapy exercises I do, and, and Brooke does her stretching. It's usually like when we listen to each other. Yeah. <laughs> what is your prayer practice for you? Like, walk me through that. Yeah, I will go through gratitudes, just certain things and people I'm grateful for. And then I will, it's a lot of gratitude. And then I'll just ask to be rooted in love and led by my high self. And um, yeah, things like that. Oh, you told me something once I wanted to bring up here that this is actually a previous guest of the podcast. I think Sahara Rose maybe told told you but it was what was it it was like what would my highest self do like oh, asking yourself that i think i might have heard i heard that on a podcast i think or something yeah Rose. yeah i think she was she was saying in any situation if you need support just ask yourself what would my highest self do right now yeah i i always really loved that um and yeah. it's so it's so useful yeah, I think about that. I think about that a lot. And I think about, you know, if you've had an experience with psychedelics or you've had an experience working, like being yourself with someone or um, like being, I've had many experiences of this. Or like when I've been like at a concert and like feeling in my body or like, I've, and those are the experiences where I'm like, okay, what was I, how did I get into that? And remembering that, like, that's my version of my highest self. And I just really liked that reframe of like getting myself 
back to a, a, play, a time where I fell into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love that you brought up psychedelics. Yeah, which is like such a useful, which we didn't really get into because I, we just didn't, but it's something yeah. that we both, we would need to do a full other podcast about that. Let's just yeah. say Mike will come on and Perfect. we'll do a full podcast about it because I think I... I was nervous to talk about it because I wasn't sure. But I guess I'll just say this, like it's such a beautiful, useful thing that Brooke really pointed out would be useful to me at a time when I really needed it. And um, it was, I'll just say that. Yeah. So <laughs> for now, yeah, I'll just say like, yeah, I'm, please say more. <laughs> I'm certified in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy and I've had the opportunity to facilitate retreats with Michael meditations in Jamaica, psilocybin retreats and psychedelics and plant medicine and mushrooms have helped me so greatly on my own path. So I really wanted to make a commitment to help others access these medicines in a safe way for their own healing. And um, these medicines when used with intention in a safe environment can be really, really beautiful, but um, it's very important to be safe, you know, with these things. Yeah. There's a lot of mindfulness that needs to occur around it, which we're yeah. both on the same page with. Definitely. Okay. What is your ideal evening ritual wise? Take a bath and get into bed. <laughs> and watch a movie. Usually watch um, a movie. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. See, she's the best mirror. I feel very seen by you. <laughs> Yes, I love watching something at night and getting all cozy. It's the best. What are you most excited about right now? I'm excited about being very surrendered to the universe with my whole life and what I don't even know what's coming next. And I feel like very trusting and that's exciting for me. What is your greatest lesson on family? Ooh. See them in small doses and you chose them for a reason. They are exactly who you need to be who you are here to be. Mm, so good. Greatest lesson on friendship. Friends are beautiful mirrors. And if you have a tendency to want to be alone all the time, it's important to, to have someone in your life who you trust and feel safe with because you're worthy of being loved like that. Oh, I love that. Have you heard the Wayne Dyer quote about friends? No, what is it? He says that God gave us friendship to make up for our families. <laughs> Hilarious. You can pick your friends. Greatest lesson on romantic relationships. Ooh, your partner is a mirror for you. Relationships are here to help you grow and ascend. You stay in your own lane, focus on yourself, and know that your partner is an angel in your life to help you become the best version of who you are. Mm, that's really good. What about God, spirituality, what happens when we die? Where are you with that? I, I used, when I was younger, I didn't use the word God. Now I use the word God like a hundred times a day. I, um, what happens when we die? I personally believe we 
reincarnate as many times as we need to until we become our highest selves. And eventually I feel we all end up in the same place, you know, like Ram Dass, we're all walking each other home. Oh, I love that. We're all going, I know it's my favorite. We're all going to the same place. Yeah, I really love that. Okay, this is really a time to recommend things. So book, music, TV show, movie, anything that you want to recommend. Yeah, I would definitely recommend The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle slash Toll. Unclear. <laughs> Does anyone know? <laughs> he also has a beautiful podcast with Oprah called A New Earth, which is the title of his second book. They go through each chapter in the book one by one. It is a, an amazing resource to have. You can just listen to the episodes on repeat to get his daily dose of wisdom. Highly recommend. I need to do that. I've never listened to that podcast. Yeah, it's good. Anything else? Anything else you want to say? Food, TV show, any anything that's... Um coming to mind that you have been liking recently? I'm about to watch Meru, some climbing movie. If anyone hasn't seen Free Solo, have you seen? Oh, no, but I heard it was really good. That was amazing. Yeah, I can't think of anything else right now. Do you rock climb? I don't at all, like (laughs) at all, but I love movies like that for some reason. That's so funny. I feel like you you should. I feel like you'd be good at it. Thank you. We should go and like learn. I'm terrible at it. Rock climbing. I'm really bad at it, but I would go with you. It would be fun. That would be a a very fun adventure. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) Um, Well, this was a delight. I'm really excited for you to come back. Do you feel like I squeezed you for all your juice? Is there anything else that you wanted to say or that you want to say or that you never get to talk about and you wish you could? Anything you need to let out? I guess. Thank you for asking. (laughs) My my main message, and for anyone who needs to hear this, I just want to say it, is you are beautiful and anything that your mind is telling you that is not that is completely false. You are beautiful and by being human, just by being here, you have inherent beauty and worth. And I just want you to see that so you can share the medicine that you are with all of us. I love that. That was so nice. And that's so you and so true. Um, So I just think people should get obsessed with you and Mike and your work. And we'll have the link to all your meditations and you, you guys do healing and music. Oh, we didn't even talk about music and using Uh, your voice. You guys also do music together, which is super cool. Mike is a musician. Brooke is an amazing singer. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Mike's working on his music and we have music together and we're really excited to share it with you eventually. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really excited too. Well, everyone should get obsessed with everything you guys do. We'll have all the links to it. And just thank you so much for doing this, pal. Like I just really, I'm bummed. I miss you and like I'm bummed we're not hanging out in person, but um, you know, I mean, I talk to you every day, but it was nice to just do this and get to have you in this space where, you know, all of my other friends get to hear us talk, you know? Thank you so much for having me, Katie. And I tell you this privately a lot, but I want to say it publicly. The world is better because you are here and you are so authentically yourself. And it's 
beautiful. And I'm so grateful for you and for all the work that you put into the world. Well, that's so nice. I mean, we always say, we were saying the highest self thing, but my highest self is really my mushroom self. (laughs) And I feel like you really see my mushroom self. And that is just so lovely. And um, I want to exist there more. And when I'm with you, I I feel like I do. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) You're the best. Okay. I love you. Thank you for doing this. Bye. She's really the best, right? I love Brooke so much. Please get obsessed with her. Follow everything that her and Mike do. They are wonderful healers and people and their meditations are so useful. I do them. I love them. And I think you would too. And, you know, consider working with her and checking out her body image course. I think it would be really useful for all of us. Maybe we could all do it together. I have it and I'm going to do it myself. So get obsessed with Brooke, follow her on all the social media. The emoji for this week's episode is the mushroom. (laughs) Have I used the mushroom before? I probably have. I'm just going to leave it at that. So comment that on Brooke and my Instagram and let us know that you're still listening all the way to the very end. If you are considering starting a podcast, now is the time, you guys. And I would love to help you. If you want my workshop, Let a Podcast Out, as you have heard three times now in this episode, (laughs) it's the last time I'm doing it like this. So if you want to join, let me know. I'm not going to do likes and learns because I feel like this was a big episode of a lot of things I'm learning. And my like is just Brooke and voice texting her all the time and having her in my life and doing our best, you know? So there you go. There you have it. I love you so much. I will talk to you next week and make sure you're subscribed because things might be sporadic or weird or who knows, you know, we are in a pandemic people. I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're staying safe and sane and I hope you're being nice to each other and yourself. I love you. Bye.